Tomorrow, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tomorrow, only on Disney+. Plus. You know, I first met Billy West when uh, he was doing, when he was a regular guy on the Howard Stern Show. And I would visit the Howard Stern Show a lot and always have fun with him. And uh, both of us had that same love of old show business. Since the Howard Stern Show, uh, Billy went on to be one of the biggest voiceover guys in the business, doing most of the voices on Ren and Stimpy and on Futurama. And uh, he's done, like... Popeye and Elmer Fudd and Woody Woodpecker and Bugs Bunny and every other commercial you'll hear on the air, he's usually doing. And so uh, me and my partner, Frank Santo Padre, uh, caught up with him in his hotel room and we talked about everything, like Mel Blanc to Curly Joe Dorita's funeral. And it's like... Uh, all of us have that love of the weird, old, obscure Hollywood that most people have forgotten. So here's our interview with Billy West. Hi, I'm Gilbert Gottfried, and I'm here with my uh, co-host, Frank Santo Padre, and this is the amazing Colossal Podcast. And today... On the show, we have someone who Entertainment Weekly called the modern Mel Blanc. And I mean, it's like every other commercial you hear, you'll hear his voice. And just about, on, on Futurama, he was the voice of, of most of the characters on that show. And he's on everything. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Billy West. Hey, Billy. Hey. Hi, guys. Hi, Gilly. Hi, Greg. Hi. I haven't seen you in a long time, Gilbert. What, you mean on in show business? Or? Well, I mean, I just, <laughs> I used to see you a lot when I was in New York when um, the when, Stern show yeah, was going on. Yeah, when we both did Howard Stern, it's like we used to run into each other a lot. We used to scream at the top of our lungs in, at the end of the show, like, well, that's it. And... <laughs> Just over-modulating the microphone. It's like, let's rock this whole airwave. We, we, and, all uh, miss, we all miss the Jackie puppet, Billy. What's that? We all miss the Jackie puppet. It was great you stuff. about the guy that couldn't come? <laughs> we had to go get him. <laughs> great stuff. We had to go get him. <laughs> Is this on? <laughs> 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 oh, uh, I gotta laugh because if I don't laugh, I'll cry. Ah! <laughs> laugh, you bastard! What do you think I'm standing up here for? Ah! 
lot of material. <laughs> now, we, I we, love that guy. I, Gilbert, I loved all the stuff that you used to do on there. I never laughed so hard in my damn life when I used to come and see you do stand-up. Oh, uh, thank you. No, honestly, honest to God, there was, there's nobody like you. And I'm friends with Penn Jillette, and we talk about you all the time. Wow. And, uh, yeah, he, he really loves you. And, uh, you know, here we are. We were um, sitting out in Las Vegas. Just uh, I did his podcast. I don't know if you ever did. Oh, I, I a bunch of times. Oh, you did it a bunch yeah. of Okay, cool. Up, up there in the slammer. Yeah, I feel like I'm on the radio. I'm, tr- I'm trying to talk like a radio guy, and it's like, somebody shoot me. Throw me out a window. <laughs> I know. I, believe me. Believe you know me. I know the feeling. It's much less professional than that, Bill. <laughs> uh, but I'm out in uh, Hollywood, darling, and um, I got a great... Uh, one of the most Hollywood things that could happen to anybody happened to me out there. The Munchkin. One of the Munchkins from The Wizard of Oz lived on my street. <laughs> <laughs> I think his name, his last name was like Meinhard or something, and he had this jet black dyed mustache and a black cowboy hat. He looked like a little villain. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know how to say hi to him. You know, I used to drive by and wave, and he'd just look at me with that scowl on his face, you know. And, <laughs> and this is this is one of the important midgets. So one day I drove by and I see him standing on his tiptoes trying to reach in his mailbox to get his mail. And I rolled down my window and I went, put that back. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. How would you like somebody stealing mail out of me? I remember, oh, go ahead. What? I remember you telling me a story about your father. Now, you grew up where again? I was Detroit, Michigan. Yes, and, and you were telling me a story about your father when you were a little boy and you were sitting on the TV and you were watching, I think, Lola Falana. There's a name. Uh-oh. Uh oh. That's a name. Lola okay. I guarantee you he didn't like her. Let's start yeah, with yeah. that. <laughs> you you described him as kind of an Archie Bunker. And, and totally. You, you said that you made the mistake of saying to your father, she's pretty. Oh. Do you remember? Oh. He was going to tie a rock to me and drown me in the Detroit River. Okay, is it okay for us to talk about this? I don't know, but I have a I have a, a different one about my other uncle. Well, I have an uncle that used to say the same stuff. Is I I was in junior high and I had a crush on a a black girl named Pat <laughs> Pat. I won't use her last name. Yeah, and there was no not. way I could just come by. And I used to just look at her, and she was gorgeous. So I I go home and I'm at one of these little family outings, and my uncle comes comes over to me, my uncle Dick, and he goes. So, you got any uh, L-O-V-E going on in your life? What's, what's going on? Got any nice girls? And I said, I don't. I don't, but I have, um, I have this mad crush on some, this beautiful girl in my class. I'm, I'm going crazy. I said, you know, she's, just, she's got nice hair, and she's got big, big eyes, brown eyes. And, and, he, and I said, and she's black. And he turned white as a sheet. He just turned white. He looked like he was going to throw up in his pocket. 
And he went, what? what, what? And he said, yeah, she's, she's a black woman. And he goes, listen, let me tell you a story. Look at your nature. Does, does a bee go out with a fly? <laughs> it don't happen. You don't see it in your nature. Yeah, that, professor, professor racist. <laughs> that's that's the story. I thought it was your father, but that's oh, the but Mola Falana was one of the names from those collections of stories. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he was an expert on evolution, your uncle. Yeah, really. Well, you know what? Um, I went to religious school, and they told you to love everybody, except when it came down to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and there still would be, like, this discrimination. The church was weird. I used to go to parochial school. And I, when I was about 10, I was in the school, and the nuns taught the school. And they would, like, sell you chips before you went to class for the Mary Knoll mission. And then when you opened it up to have some of them in the classroom, she'd snatch them out of your hand like a, like a buzzard and seal them up again and then sell them again. So, so they were not too cool. So I'm running around the hallways, and I see there's a lot of nice old oil paintings in this old church in Detroit. And I was interested in art, and I was looking at it. And a nun comes up behind me, and she says, What are you looking at? I said, I was just admiring, you know, this work and everything. Yeah, what's so good about it? I said, this is a creation. No kidding. You know, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Tell me something I don't know. So I, so I said, so, so in other words, like, God created man in his own image and likeness. That's right. And, and he used 100 pounds of clay from the earth and formed Adam in his image and likeness and then breathed life into him. That's right. I said, and then when he became human, suddenly out of clay, I know, this is insane that I'm even saying this stuff. He turned turned into a man suddenly, and 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 God used a part of his rib to create Eve, his his wife, his woman, whatever. And... uh, and she was like, she said, yeah, well, what's your point? And I said, why do they have belly buttons? And she flipped out. Her head almost fell to the floor, and it was still screaming at me from the floor. <laughs> why you, what? How dare you? How dare you? You know, but it was a, it's a reasonable question. You know, every yes. painting I've ever seen, they've got big, beautiful innies. Yeah, it not makes... even Audis. <laughs> but that—that's if you're taking science into it. Yeah, but, but you know, <laughs> that there's always that inevitable clash somewhere along the line. Oh, I know what I wanted to tell you. Okay. I was doing Futurama, and you mentioned it, and you and I <clears throat> have pretty much always had in common old showbiz periphery. Yes. And I, I love that stuff. You know, give me a good Eugene Paulette any day for 15 <laughs> Christopher Walken. You know? I need my coat. I gotta get out of here. Beat it, buddy. 
You know, and he, if no one knows what he looked like, he, he was like this little short guy, but he was fat, and he was stuffed into a, a suit that was too small for him, and he, he, he looked like 10 pounds of crap stuffed into a five-pound bag. A picture of Friar Tuck. In the, uh, Where's my taxi cab? <laughs> That's how I picture him, Bill, in the original Robin Hood. In the what? In the original Robin Hood. Eugene oh. Paulette. Paulette? Yeah. Well, that was, oh, he, I didn't know he was in that. Yeah. Wow. And, Where and have I been? Friar Tuck. I, I missed a movie that was Gene Paulette friendly. And, and both of us are, uh, uh, see the, Sto- the Three Stooges as heroes. Yes. I stopped going to church the day I discovered the Three Stooges. <laughs> Honestly. And I had a head full of it in Detroit. There used to be this, this morning guy. He was like a schmo on TV, and he was dressed up like a safari guide. And his name was Boana Don. Boana Don. Yeah, and he had a chimp with him. I forget what the chimp's name was, but Boana Don used to show the Stooges. So here I am watching Stooges from the 40s and 50s and maybe some of the 30s, and I had a head full of this on my way to school. And I had no use for academics. I swear to God, all I ever thought of was, how how do they do what they do? And, you know, we didn't realize when we were watching them, we were learning comic timing or Mm -hmm. of some sort. And, you know, and it served us well because you're learning how to act when you're, meanwhile, it was like, can you help it? My mom would come in. She said, turn off those awful men. They're Jewish, you know. (laughs) I don't know if you know this. Hey, Mo, you took my money, didn't you? Yeah. Then it's Shemp. He's come back to haunt us. So, so of all... Hey, Mo, there's O.J. Simpson, and he's pointing at you. He's pointing at where I was. Let's get out of here. So, out of all the things the Stooges did, like poke each other in the eyes and run a saw against their, each other's heads that and crush skulls in a vice, what bothered her was they were Jews. What, what stuck with me, what I thought was the best? Yes. Um, little things, strange things that you're not supposed to pay attention to, like bad ADR. Because remember, like, sometimes you'd hear a sound on the TV and it would be from the set. Oh, And yes. then somebody would have to dub in something. Like on the Munsters, you know. Um, <laughs> if Herman and uh, Al Lewis get trapped in a bank vault. I love that one. <laughs> and so I guess Al Lewis wasn't loud enough. And, and so they dubbed him in and his room tone was all different. It was sounded like a closet that I recorded it in. And it was too close and it was like... Look what you did, you big dummy. You locked <laughs> us in the bank for. Ah, grab ah. What you know? What, what I remember with the monsters that stood out with me was that one time the creature of the Black Lagoon is there. <laughs> oh, it was an uncle. Yeah, and it's Uncle Gilbert. <laughs> uncle Gilbert. <laughs> Get it? Really? I was, you know, you know what they were? They were lo- no, they were looking to do something with that suit that had been hanging around because it was done by Universal and they were the monster people. They had they had the rights to Frankenstein and Dracula. So, of course, a Jewish Dracula is better than any Dracula in history. Uh, there was one, I think, Jewish Dracula. What, the golem? No. <laughs> 
No, that was the Jewish Frankenstein. That's right. That was the Jewish Frankenstein. Yes. Because a lot of when you... In a motto, Foon and I am, shall as they can. When you look at a lot of the Frankenstein movies and compare it to the Golem, you see where Frankenstein came from. Oh, sure. And, and there is a scene in the Golem where he's standing over a little kid. Yeah. Where that's identical to Lon Chaney Jr. and Ghost of Frankenstein standing over uh, Janet Ann Gallo, the little oh. girl. In that. Oh, who's still alive. Yes, who yes. we got to talk to. That's right. Do you in, know, in how quick. do you know those names? What, I thought oh, I was bad. I know, it, it's nothing I'm too proud of. Well, <laughs> and the golem was made Blatt out of before. clay, just like Adam, so see, we should all be friends. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you Al know Lewis did some of his, gonna, be, his best work in that vault episode, Billy. What's that? Al Lewis did some of his best work in that vault episode of the Monsters. You know, you know He's what? brilliant I, at it. I remember with Al Lewis... One t- uh, Al Goldstein, uh, big crew magazine. Right? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. He used to have these big brunches that I, of course, would always go for free food. And yes, I, know. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was I, happy to take you anywhere. I just <laughs> loved listening to you riffing, and I used to. I, I would get inspired to tell you the truth. <laughs> and I was sitting next to uh, Al Lewis, Grandpa Munster. <laughs> And he yes. used to dress in like Western clothes. Oh yeah, with the bolo tie. Yes, yeah, and then the, the suede cowboy hat, yep. the floppy hat. And he used to talk Southern sometimes. It was weird. Or oh, Western. I know, I know, because I knew him too, and I used to hang around with him, and he was talking about and Jackie on that show, Jackie. <laughs> he says he's got that old corn pound humor. <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah. I I remember I was sitting next to him at one of these brunches, and he's there with his smelly guitar. No, smelly guitar. Smelly cigar. He's there with a smelly guitar. That would have made it worse. Interesting. A singing grandpa munch. He smoked smoked those little (laughs) cigars. They were dipped in wine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, more wine and more smoke. I want to die. And long fingernails. Long, rotten fingernails. And... And one time, uh, Al Goldstein is talking about a new mag, a different magazine he's putting out. And he goes, so, uh, you know, we're going to put out this magazine, and, and every month is going to be a, a celebrity interview. Like, like this month, we have Penn and Teller. And uh, gra- uh, Grandpa, Al Lewis, turns to me and goes, and he takes his uh, smelly cigar out, and he goes, oh, and I go, uh, Penn and Teller, and he waves his hand in a dismissed, disgusted <laughs> way and goes, piece of your shit. <laughs> That's a beautiful story. <laughs> oh, I went to dinner with him and a bunch of other people, and, you know, I asked him stuff, the usual stuff, like, Grandpa, you're, you're 90-something. What's the secret of life? If anybody knows it, you do. Oh, and he goes, you got to do what you love and love what you do. And I thought that was pretty nice, you know? Yes. And then there were a couple of old biddies in his restaurant <laughs> one time, and they were trying to thank him for such a good time. He had, he had that place in the Lower, oh, lower East Street. Side, West yeah. Side. 
grandpa's restaurant. Yeah. And there were a couple of biddies. They were like from the Midwest. And, oh, we just enjoyed your meal so much. We've never had Italian food in our lives. And, and, and we just loved it. And he's going, yeah, 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 yeah. And we're going to come back here and we're going to tell, we're going to tell all our friends to come back to grandpa's restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he goes, good night now. And then they start out the door, and then one of them ramps up again and said, uh, do you have a menu from this place? Yeah, yeah, here's your, here's your menu. And they leave, and he looks at me, and he goes, drop dead. <laughs> that was so him. Oh, oh and then, then there was this yuppie couple in there at the time. This is a bunch of years ago, probably 18 years ago. And they had a little girl, and, and the dad says, honey, honey, go over and ask him where he lives. And so she comes over. She's all shy. She's adorable. And she goes, where do you live? And he goes, 1313 Mockingbird Lane. <laughs> and she screams and runs away from him. <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, women. Great. You know, with the shrug and everything. What? What? The big bushy sideburns that he had. And I remember he also, was great. he was having a fight with some producer, like late in life. I mean, the producer didn't want him or whatever. And and he tells him, he goes, you know, Macy's window uh, is in Macy's window about 50,000 people pass there an hour. And in that window, you can Kiss my ass. (laughs) (laughs) There was also a monster. Well, there was a thing, wasn't there? It was like kiss my ass in Macy's window at rush hour. Um, uh, was Herald Square store. There was there was also a monsters where it was like Herman uh, Herman Munster meets, like, the actual Frankenstein monster. Really? Yeah, it's, and it's like... It's like uh, it's a TV movie? Uh, no, it, no, it's, it's in, in the a, series. A monster's episode. Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, and he's, like, in that, you know, fur vest from Son of yeah, Frankenstein. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what that was. I think Glenn Strange wore that when he played Frankenstein once. It was like a fleece or something. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know which movie it was, but, oh, man. You know, the uh, the Al Lewis stuff, he had a heart of gold, though. He really did. Did he run for office at one point in New what York? For who? I think he ran for mayor in New York he City. He ran as a libertarian yeah. Yeah, or something did. once. Yeah. And Howard did that, too. Yeah. But, uh, but Al wanted to do everything. He discovered um, Lou Alcindor. Oh, yeah, he was a big became, basketball guy. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, he discovered him. He was an NBA town scout. Yep, yep. And he used to say to me, listen, there's nothing like a Nat Hiking script. I guarantee you there is never going to be another, uh, what's his name? You know, Nat Hiking Road Car 54 and Bilko. And And, and he was telling the truth, man. If you had a guy like that writing for you now, your head would explode. And uh, he would say, uh, he'd say, you know, I never looked back. I never went and saw the monsters or the movies or Car 54, nothing. I, I'm a progressive. And uh, 
and he was telling me. I asked him. I said, "How was Fred Gwynn? Fred Gwynn was he was he quiet?" Or he goes, "He was silent, and the only person he liked was me, because I was like a father to him. He didn't have uh, uh, mom and dad that were close to him. He was from Connecticut." So, so he said, uh, and then I found out he's dying, and I call him up, and I said, you had to catch cancer? You couldn't have caught dandruff? <laughs> oh, God. He, he swear to God, he said that to me, like, they're trying to just cheer him up because they both knew, you know. And I also, I wanted to tell you something about that. You like you love George Jessel, the Toastmaster oh, General. Yes, yes, sure. And, and he was a marble mouthed idiot, one, barely funny. One bright and shining light that <laughs> taught me wrong from right, I found in my mother's eyes. Those baby tales she told, those streets all paved with gold, I found in my mother's eyes. Thank you for that. I'm the only one in the world besides Frank that is, I'm dancing on a tabletop, sitting up barking like Lassie over that one. You guys can say, you know the definition, now you know the definition of a smart ass? A fellow that can sit on an ice cream cone and tell you what flavor it is. <laughs> Hello, Mama? Hello, Mama. Yes, it's your son, George, from The Money Each Week. It's Yiddish humor. A lot of people don't even know what you're saying. But, but George Jessel, I fused him with Lou Jacoby to do Dr. Zoidberg oh. on, uh, yes. on uh, Futurama. Uh, yes. See, now I knew, I knew. Uh, Jessel was definitely there, but I didn't. Oh, so you put in Luther Kobe. Yeah, you know, like Zoidberg could be. Oh my God, you're right. Okay. Yeah, and I'm, but but the thing was, is I, I remember, Luther Kobe was in the Diary of Anne Frank. Oh wow. And, and God forgive me for saying this, but when I saw the movie, two of my, a couple of my favorite comedic stars were in it. It was Ed Wynn as the father. Mm-hmm. And Lou Jacoby is Uncle Buddy. Wow. Yeah, and Buddy, <laughs> you know, uh, but I, I was like saying, these are the funniest guys I know, and they're, they're talking about dead serious stuff like, like the Nazis and everything. So, so uh, Buddy, they were hiding in the attic, and Buddy was just grabbing, like, grain, stealing from the children, like, at night he, so he could have more. He was kind of fat. And then one day they caught him, and Ed Wynn goes, here all along we thought it was the rats, and it was you, buddy. And he Great just said, uh, I stole from the children. I stole from the children. And I was laughing my ass off, and I said, I'm going to go to hell for this. This is horrible. But, you know, that's what happened with Zoidberg. I just thought it was a perfect... He had all this cool meat hanging off his face. I said, why not? Why not be a marble mall? You know what that story reminds me of? A few years ago, there was a TV movie called Escape from Sobibor. And it was like the escape... The feel-good movie of that summer. Yes, yes. (laughs) I had the lunchbox. Yes, and it was the Sobibor (laughs) concentration camps and the big escape. And the guy... Oh, uh, there's one guy who planned the escape, and it was played by Alan Arkin. Mm. 
And there were points in that where they're in a concentration camp and Alan Arkin will say stuff and I was cracking up. Oh, no. And I remember, like, he says something like at one point, what are we all fighting? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. I wish I'd seen it, though, just for that. Oh, my God. Alan Arkin. Now, oh, you know, we we uh, either we you could say we worked together or didn't work together, but I was a voice in uh, one of the Ren and Stimpy episodes. Yes, you were. Uh-huh. I wasn't. I wish I had been there that day. You played a character named Jerry, the belly button elf. That's right. <laughs> Go figure. Go and, figure. And but, I, he, but he was this nice little elf that lived inside your belly button because yes. they were contemplating their navels. <laughs> So you were more than just this this living speck of dust. All of a sudden, you turned into this monster that just came flying That's, out of there because and he, terrorizing people. He hated lint loaf. Yeah. Oh, yes. And, and lint loaf. What I remember, lint too, loaf. is like the the people, the producers told me they originally tried to get Jerry Lewis, and he wouldn't do it. So I kept throwing in Jerry Lewisisms. And you did. I loved it. Yeah, and I was like when I when he'd be screaming I'd go (laughs) (laughs) Gilbert, I met Jerry Lewis once when I was about ten. He was doing the nutty professor and I used I lived in Detroit so I walked about five or ten miles to the theater in Royal Oak, it was called the Royal Theater. And back in those days, I don't know if anybody remembers, but a celebrity would show up at the theater to promote the movie, and he would do a little stage show, and Jerry uh, Lewis was the guy. And he did this great stage show and everything, so I have to leave, and I'm never going to see him again, and I know that I loved him. And then, many years in the future, me and a couple of voice guys from Nickelodeon call up Jerry's manager, I think it was Joe Stabile or something, and uh, we said, listen, we're some voice guys from, uh, you know, Nickelodeon. We we wanted to know if we could see Jerry. And he says, well, Jerry, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people who want to see him. And uh, he said, you know, maybe maybe like next time. So my buddy calls back and he says, well, we do a bunch of voices for Nickelodeon. And we know that he's got an eight-year-old daughter. Maybe, you know, maybe we could just say hi or something backstage. And I'll call you right back. And he calls right back and he goes, Jerry will see you <laughs> after the show. And um, and I couldn't believe it. They say never meet one of your heroes because oh. it could go terribly, terribly wrong. Oh. You know, but he had the little eight-year-old. And uh, we went backstage and there he was in, a, in like a, uh, I don't know, like a windbreaker suit. You know, it's a decompression suit or something after he works. And he comes out, and there's pictures of all his movies, you know, movie posters. And the little girl has no idea who he is. He's just monkhead daddy, you know. So we started doing voices for But Jerry came out, and he goes, where are my Nickelodeon guys? (laughs) And so I told him, I said, Jerry, I said, Jerry, I know you hear this all the time, but I'm I'm of age where you had a, a real impact on me. And I used to go see movies like Visit to a Small Planet. My mind would be blown. I'd go out 
and nobody else in the world cared about it except me, maybe one other. But it seemed special. So anyway, I said, I saw you at the Royal Oak Theater in Detroit, Michigan in 19... God, it had to be 62, 61, doing a matinee promoting The Nutty Professor. And he goes, boy, was I horrin' for that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's just business. <clears throat> but I... You know, I mean, I'm lucky. I got to meet a bunch of my heroes. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor. Um, you know, Les Paul was one of my heroes because I was—I'm a musician too, and uh, Jeff yeah, Beck tr- knew you, who you, I was. You, you played with Roy Orbison and Brian Wilson. Tell, tell us a little bit about that, Bill. Oh, that was—I um, played with Brian out in L.A. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, New York, when I was still on the Stern Show, and my buddy produced his first album. So they were going to play on um, on David Letterman, and they came over and they grabbed me to play. Right. And it was like so last minute. Then I get out there and I'm playing with them. And Brian, when we were at that hotel before we went to the Sullivan Show, he wore sunglasses, and and I was standing behind him, and I know that there's only one way to access this guy, because he truly is like an angelic human being. You know, he'll walk into a wall, but he could write God Only Knows. And and I sang the first opening bars to the four freshmen, uh, Poinciana, and he turns around, and he's staring, and he starts singing the, the traveling middle part that's in the original version, like he just was thinking about it. And then he... Uh, he took off his sunglasses and he was saying, that was, that was really good. You know, the four freshmen, I loved the four freshmen. You know, my dad took me to see them. And, you know, I loved it because he, he, he guess he accepted me when he takes off his sunglasses. But we went on there and we played Do It Again. We played with uh, his daughter, Wendy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I played with the, the house band. Paul Schaefer right. was playing. And World's the Most Dangerous Band. Back then? The world's most dangerous band. Mm-hmm. And uh, somehow I wind up playing out there, and I'm like, uh, I couldn't believe it. It was like, uh, this is the guy that wrote the soundtrack to my teens, and here I am playing with him. It's like it's like David Byrne. I started smacking myself in the head. And you may find yourself playing next to Brian Wilson. <laughs> and you may find yourself singing harmony. <laughs> and you may ask yourself, how the F did I get here? It was just surreal. See, I never worked with Brian Wilson. I worked with the Beach Boys. Did you really? Yes. You never told me that. Yeah. Tell us. I, I, made I don't a, know about this. I made a music video. They sang the theme song to Problem Child. Oh. oh I'll be damned. I didn't yes. know that. Who That's wants great. to grow up? Who wants responsibility? Oh, no, not me. That was... <laughs> oh, wow. So what'd you do? Now everybody says you're running wild. The teacher's calling you a problem. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I worked with the Beach Boys in this music video because I was in the movie, too, so they wanted me there. That's and, right. and, and the child, the problem child was there. Michael Oliver, and playing drums was John Stamos. I was just going to ask if it was yeah, the Stamos, yeah, Stamos version. Stamos. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So much I'm learning about you. <laughs> no, I mean, well, well, at least we have that in common. I mean, I, 
I met Carl and I met Mike a long time ago, uh, but Brian was the one I really was into. And uh, was Brian with him at the time, or were they the Mike Love uh, all these? No, uh, no, yeah, it wasn't. Uh, Brian wasn't there. And um, happy birthday, America! And who's the 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 craziest one? Was was that Mike Love or which Dennis? Well, Dennis was the one. No, no, man. no. He was the crazy, yeah. crazy. Yeah. But the other one, there was another. Well, they were all nutty. Yeah. I think um, it was Mike Love, though. Well, he was I, nutty, and in, in, he had his own flavor of nuttiness. You know, like at Howard Johnson, there's different flavors. I That's crazy. I think with Mike Love, he was over at some hangout, and Miles Davis was there, and. Uh, and Mike Love was going to get some more uh, grass from some other Miles guy. Davis? That would be heroin, wouldn't it? Yeah, but this time Go he was getting some, some grass. Go get me some heroin. And, and so Miles Davis said to him, oh, uh, get me some too. And uh, no, no, a guy, one of the friends said, "Go, go, Miles wants you to get him some too. And he said, uh, tell Miles Davis... He ain't God, and we ain't room service. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Now, what a contempt me... for a jazz icon. Now, Frank and I were talking about, <laughs> and only the three of us <laughs> will be yep. talking about this. <laughs> and that's yep, Curly, on the planet. Curly Joe Dorito. Ah, yes. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I had, the, I had the honor of being at his wake, Bill. <laughs> Really? That's a freaky story. Which, which is the fun, <laughs> the funniest Joe thing Dorita. that Curly Joe has ever done. <laughs> he was the only Italian stooge. I know. That's right. So it's fitting. So, so what happened? What did you do? I was living in the Valley at the time, and uh, Drew Friedman uh, had introduced me to a friend, Mark Newgarden. Well, we were friends from, from college, and, and Mark called me up and said, uh, do you know that Joe Dorita's wake is happening in the Valley today? and We have to get over there immediately. <laughs> Sounds like a song. <laughs> we, we hey, piled... buddy boy, I'm being wake today. You're not going to hit me, are you, Mo? <laughs> hey, buddy boy. Buddy boy. I know he did Joe, too. And, you know... It was poorly his, attended. His, his, yeah. Well, how many people were there? <laughs> there were about nine people there, including See, his gardeners, which, which, which I, I never think, forgot. Which I think nine people is amazing. <laughs> For Curly Joe? Joe? That he actually had Oh, I know. Fans. That is amazing. I had the mask card, which I kept for years, and then I gave it as a gift to my friend Tom Leopold, who's a comedy writer and a friend of Gill's and mine, and he just treasures it. Now, but, now that, what was it? Oh, that's I, my I, Joe Dorita story. I heard that Joe Dorita, is the, his, his relatives, his uh, descendants, are the ones who inherited the Three Stooges' fortune. Really? Yeah, which is the talk the from, most from uh, the daughter uh, Johnny Moore. Yes, yes, the most undeserving stooge of all times. <laughs> You're kidding me! How did I thought Joe Legosi Jr. was representing them? <laughs> <laughs> no, he was a lawyer, fellas. I know. Which, you have to know how that. the hell? For, I, I, what, what kills me is how the hell do you go through life? Especially as a lawyer with the name Bale Lugosi Jr. Hilarious. Yeah, he's going to suck your blood. I mean, yes. <laughs> how appropriate. Your Honor, I bring up my next witness. 
That's crazy. I can't believe that happened. I the rest Dorita. my case, Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> but he he inherited. He got all the money. His relatives I didn't know That's, that. I I he gotta find out about this. You know, I had Mo's daughter and son in my house the other day. You did? Yes, like about well, not the other day, like a month or two ago, and because they were doing a Stooges documentary. And I was going to talk about Mo, and I was going to talk about Larry, and who wants to show up is Mo's daughter and Mo's son, Paul and uh, Joan. And they were sitting in my house, and they, they, one of them said, you know, I might have been up here one time, <laughs> you know, with the parents. I, my house is nuts. I remember, uh, well, I think he, it's the guy who wrote the last Larry Fine book. Oh, the last. A, oh. a Fine Stooge. A Fine Stooge. I don't yeah. know about that one. I, I read Stroke of Luck. The, the, uh, yeah, I heard the one Stroke of Luck. One of them, the first book. It was about Larry my Fine. stroke. Yeah. <laughs> I had a stroke one day as the old actor's home. And I was playing shuffleboard, and it was Halloween. And I put a sign on me, whatever happened to Baby Jane? It's uncanny. <laughs> Drew has a strip like that, Bill, in his first book. Well, he's the one that inspired me to just do mix and match with all of them. Like, you know, I did a radio bit once in Boston about Shemp photo the ugliest man in Hollywood in 1940. <laughs> Meanwhile, at night, the stooge roamed the streets teaching his bizarre noises to hookers. That's How it. was that? Nah, sister, you ain't doing it right. <laughs> the first time I became aware of you, Bill, was uh, I was working at Taz, the Topps Trading Card Company with Drew. And, oh. the, and the aforementioned Mark Newgarden, who took me to the Joe Dorita wake. And oh boy! We we. Uh, I have more to say about that. <laughs> Let's hear go it. ahead. Well, the, no, first, go the ahead. first time I heard you was that Drew had a cassette a cassette tape in those days of of you with doing Larry Fine at Woodstock. Oh yeah, that was the old Stern Show bit, which we just loved. I, you know what? Uh, I, they were almost like religious figures to me. Like I told you earlier, it was like they pointed the way. There was no like thinking about going to a comedy club. Oh, I think I'll get lessons from this guy, and he'll teach me how to do stand-up or how to act. You know, there was none of that. How to do voices. You know, Mel Blanc is never going to break down in front of my house and come in and use the phone and, in, in exchange, teach me how to do, um, you know, Porky Pig. It just didn't happen. There was no sign part. I, I remember you. there used to be that great commercial for American Express. Do you know me? <laughs> A lot of people don't know me, but if they heard my voice, you see, oh, I got to tell you something about Mel Blanc. One time he was getting ready to retire and he decided he was going to pass the business on to his son, Noel. Now, you know, they say the, the, the apple doesn't fall from the tree, but this apple stopped in midair and did a cartoon U-turn to the next field. Oh, jeez. And uh, he came on with Noel on the Joan London show. I, she was just, 
she was unwatchable. But anyway, Mel was on there, and he goes, you know, a lot of people have asked me what I'm going to do, <laughs> but what happens when I kick? Well, I've heard every damn impression that I uh, voices I've ever done, and they're all god-awful. So my son, Noel, does my voices. And he goes, and John Lennon says, let's have a contest, and which is death, you know. When someone says, oh, hey, Gilbert, we got a guy that does uh, Jafar on here, and we were hoping you could come up with a little, you know. Oh, and yeah. It's, it's death. It's murder. You can feel the oxygen leaving the room. So, um, so Joan London says, uh, let's, try, let's try this. Amer How about America's favorite stuttering pig? You mean Porky. And you go, you know, that's all, folks. You know, and then, no. And you go, and he goes, see? He goes, see? Oh. It was like the tape measure. You know, the dad is retiring. He wants to put the tape measure around oh, his course. kid's neck and gives him the cleaners. I, you know. I always found that so sad that he wanted the son to take over the family business. I don't think the son wanted to do that. Oh, because, you know, in, in one episode of Family Guys... They have uh, they have like a fantasy sequence where Elmer Fudd uh, uh, catches uh, Bugs Bunny and breaks his neck, and the blood's pouring out of his mouth, and he's dragging him along. And they at, at the end, I purposely looked out, and it said uh, uh, Noah Noah Blank. So they they had him come in for that, which I thought was kind of nice. Yeah, they might have finessed it, you know, maybe it was, uh, but, but, and Mel didn't do Elmer Fudd. No, no, it was this guy, Because that Patrick. was that weirdo, that, uh, Arthur Q. Bryan. Oh, yeah, Arthur Q. Bryan. I talked to June Foray once, and I said, what was that guy like, June? And he said, oh, he was very strange. He loved little boys. <laughs> <laughs> he liked, he liked little boys. Like go no, I don't want to hear this. I blocked my ears and ran away. I, I think because I do them in the Geico commercial, <laughs> you know, and it's oh. like I don't want to know. This is too much damn information. So, Bill, how did how did you get Larry Fine? How did you you bring Larry Fine and and Stimpy together? Uh, because, what was the genesis uh, of that? Well, I thought you know. Everybody, it caused a stir in the southern states whenever you did that damn voice. And I noticed that just about every guy in the world somehow genetically knew it or was familiar with it. Mm -hmm. So when I got to do this cartoon, I had to amp them up. You know, you couldn't have a, a cartoon character sound like a depressed old Jewish guy. I don't know why that is. I would do it. And uh, so he had to be kind of chipper Larry, you know, higher pitched and everything. And... Uh, that's that's how that happened. But I, any cartoon I've ever done, I've thrown in something from the Stooges, like some noise. Or I'm waiting for the Joe Dorita. You know, you're not gonna hit me, are you, Mo? Now I I oh the story that that I heard is so the guy who wrote I think it was Steve Cox who wrote one of the the books on the Stooges, yep. and he when he was a little kid he wrote a fan letter to Joe Bessa. And then he was sitting around with his family watching TV a few months later, and the phone rings, and the mother answers and says, Hey, uh, Steve, there's a phone call for you. And Joe Bessa 
was on the phone, and he's really old and weak, and he goes, I, <laughs> I, I just want you to know how much you let him into me. You're a very nice young man. And he's very excited, and he goes, oh, uh, could you say one of the things that you say on TV? And he goes, I, I don't know what you mean. And he no, goes, <laughs> yeah, and he says, please, please say one of the things you say on. And he goes, I can't make out what you. And he says, can you say? And he goes, not so loud. <laughs> oh, that's Joe Besser, right? That's great. Yes. Yeah, but we're talking, we get two two Joes. I don't know how the Stooges were, like, you know, whittled, whittled down to two Joes at one point, but not so hard. <laughs> yeah. You know what? He thought he was a star. He he thought that he was, he should be bigger than the, the other two. Well, he was great as Stinky. And he's, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I said he was a great Stinky, Besser. Oh, Yeah. He was, but but the thing was, is he did that act. You know, his act was like a male version of Baby Schnooks oh, on the radio. Yes. Mm -hmm. So he took that act and did it as as you know Joe Besser. And, and I, you know, <clears throat> I didn't really go for him. Uh, but I think when they did the Three Stooges movie, I t I told the the director, the Farrellys, I said, you know. I met him after it was done because I was a consultant on the movie and I was, you know, teaching people how to be Larry. And, and I talked to, uh, oh God, Will. Um, Will Sasso. Will Sasso that did Curly and he said, just tell me anything. Just tell me anything you know about him. And I said, well, you might have noticed that he would walk with a limp and when he'd run away, when the other guy said, let's go, he would pivot around the corner and he'd be limping on one leg and he says yeah why is that and I go because when he was 13 he shot his own foot with a shotgun I, I had heard that yeah he shot himself in the foot I mean that's you were ordained to be a stooge <laughs> you know he was in a lot of pain all the time and he drank you know but uh, and, and he used to get drunk and he'd play at one of those clubs in Hollywood you know that's probably still there like, uh, oh, I don't know, the Trocadero, whatever it's called, the Trocadero. <laughs> the Trocadero, yeah. The Um, And they, you could hear him, like, at midnight playing with the band, and he'd be going, swing it! <laughs> and he'd be smashed. And, and he had a few strokes before the main. Yes, I know. That was so sad. That was really You sad. see certain segments, certain other shorts where you go, oh, God, he looks horrible there. He wasn't afraid to risk his life for being a stooge. You know? I mean, that's commitment. And and now, I also, a guy who wound up really sadly with the stooges was Vernon Dent. And we were talking oh. about him. He yeah. went blind. Oh, yeah, I know. Bill, Vernon you... Dent was the guy that would always, he had a mustache and he was always put out and pissed off and he would go, where are those three new men? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He'd either be a cop or a gangster or the head or a of the judge. company. <laughs> Have you been to the Stoogeum, Bill? The Stoogeum is where in Philly? Yeah. Is it really because of Larry? It's in Pennsylvania. It's uh, rural Pennsylvania. I know Drew wants to go. He's talking well, about doing a, a road trip to the Stoogeum all the time. Which sounds well, like what? a movie in itself. <laughs> They have to honor, who's the guy that did uh, 
Joe McDokes. Oh. The, the, um, what was his name? He played George Jetson. Um, I know who you mean. Oh God! I can't think of it. He was he was like George, a young, George O'Hanlon. George O'Hanlon. He yeah. was a he was like a little firecracker, and um, but he was doing those Joe McDokes, and uh, he was from Philly, and that was my key to figuring out George Jetson because because of all of us all of us guys that do voices you want to be able to replicate you know just so you can hear it anytime you want, but my biggest thing was creating voices but. But I noticed Larry Fine, Philly, and George O'Hanlon was from Philly. And they both had this, like, bad plumbing between their nose and their mouth. <laughs> you know, because, because Larry was like, you know, Hey, Mo, you're putting too much sizzle on the tree. You know, and George Jetson, George Jetson had the same kind of thing. He would go, Oh, come on, Janie, honey, the clean is 500 miles away. It would take an extra five minutes to get there. Right, and and I said, this is there's something in that water in Philly. Maybe it's the hoagies or the, you know, I don't know. Well, it's it's. Well, almost... Can you imagine, Frank, that that you're sitting here, and you you talk, you're listening to two guys that that care about old showbiz periphery almost more than what's going on like in Afghanistan. I'm just I'm just as sad, Bill. <laughs> you are <laughs> by far. Now, I didn't know that. I've told you do a mean Lucille Ball. Is it is it late, later uh, latter day Lucy? Yes. In a matter as a matter of fact, I just moved to New York and I went on a Stern show and I was sitting in his office after he'd get off the show and he'd get his baked potato Stern. <laughs> oh, I and, remember uh, those days. <laughs> yeah, baked potato and, he, and turkey. Yeah, I'm waiting for my grace. baked potato. Yeah. He would wrap slices, white meat, and then he'd wrap the turkey breast around the baked potato, and he'd eat that. And it used to yeah, disgust I mean, me. It must have given him his magic powers for radio, you know. Good information. It, it might have been that, you know. It's like, uh, well, but but anyway, I'm sitting in his office, and uh, I said, "Hey, Howard, you know, they continually they're continually showing the conveyor belt bonbon scene." on TV and the grape stomping in Italy, episodes of Lucy, and I said, I think she's on her way out. And, uh, and then I sat there and I said, you know, it's not the Lucy that we loved, you know, that what she became. It was the Stone Pillow Lucy is what we oh, got yeah. at the end. Stone Pillow. And you were on the radio when they called me and I was supposed to be in the Cedars-Sinai. I remember and, uh, that. Yeah, and you said, uh, Miss Ball, has anybody ever called you Miss Testicle? <laughs> oh, stop it. You know, I heard that from oh, Henny Youngman 45 years ago. Oh, Gary, get my clutch purse. Oh. Remember that last series, Bill? Uh, Life with Lucy? Oh, that was, that was a it was, nightmare. It, it was, you know what? I, it was like looking at a burned victim. I couldn't take my eyes off it. <laughs> I know, it was a train wreck. You know, and I don't mean to, but I couldn't take my eyes off it. He's like, was she still with Mr. Mooney or had he changed I his character so. name? I think Gail Gordon was still hanging on. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Mr. Mooney, I'm going out on a date tonight, and I need some money, Mr. Mooney. <laughs> Oh boy, 
Oh boy, strap your seatbelt. But you were there. You were just you were dying laughing, and I wasn't even sure what I was saying because I hadn't I hadn't played on the Stern Show officially, and they play real rough in there. Oh yeah. Or they did. They did when I was first coming on, and uh, it was like uh, so. Gilbert, we get Gilbert here, and uh, Robin. Robin, we're gonna call the uh, Cedar Sinai. We heard that uh, Lucille Ball is uh, on her way out, and maybe we can get to talk to her. <laughs> and I, all I kept saying after everything he asked me, "Why are you bothering me? Why? Why? Why?" Here I am, lying spaces, you know, or just using phony medical terms or something, whatever I was doing. I said, I got one foot in a, a banana peel and one in the twilight zone, and here you are calling me. And he goes, uh, um, I'll bet you, you know, who's in the other room? And uh, I said, Dolores Hope. And he goes, wait a minute, she's gone. She ought to be riding by you any second. Uh, oh, look. Here's a card. Oh, it's from Henny Youngman. You know, people don't bother to do these type of things anymore. Oh, look at this one. It's from Tom Bosley. Oh. So we uh we heard you uh you uh love Bob Mackey or something like that. Oh, he designs the uh, dresses. And uh the last time we saw you on TV was that one of the Bob Mackie. No, he designed that for Bernadette Peters. He's a wonderful man. A wonderful man. You I heard he isn't feeling too well these days for some reason. Uh, where's where's Bill Frawley? I have to go to the bathroom, and they didn't even hook me up to a catheter. They're all Haitians. Where are they from? Haiti. You mean all the, the nursing people are from Haiti? Haiti. We had, Dick, uh, we had Dick Cavett on the show, Bill, and he, he claimed that Gail Gordon stole uh, Frank Nelson's voice, that he stole his bit. Yes. Well, they yes, all did. And then, yeah, they all did that. <laughs> Well, well, Gail Gordon, yeah, I mean, he he wasn't the original um, neighbor on Dennis the Menace. You know, Dennis the Menace show had this yeah. guy Joe Kern from uh, radio, and he would say, good grief. <laughs> but then when they had Gail Gordon on as Mr. Wilson, he was doing like the Frank Nelson thing way back, and Frank Nelson was still alive. And uh, I love the Benny stuff. I love it so much when they, when they had the TV show. Or the radio show was great, too. Hey, Mr. Benny. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mr. Benny! <laughs> oh, Rochester, where's my white jacket? I'm wearing it! <laughs> oh, why don't you get the shrimp for my guests, you, you silly? <laughs> and and I, I used to love that stuff so much. And he would go, Oh, Usher, can you tell us where our seats are? And he went, Right behind you. Isn't everybody... <laughs> See that stuff don't fly anymore. But I I will fall over if somebody just mentions that junk. 
We were born uh, born too late, Gilbert. I'm sure you've been told that. A million oh times. my God, yes. We were born old. Yeah, I I remember one time sitting with Penn, and he had some guests over, and he started to name every single reference I make of celebrities in my act. Wow. And oh. Each and each person at the table going, no, no. <laughs> Not oh, even, no. Not even Norman Fell? No. <laughs> and I oh, realized, my God. I realized that, that when I do a Christ joke, that Christ is my most contemporary reference. <laughs> oh. Oh, I used to joke about him, and you, you really polarize a room. <laughs> you know, I said, you know, he was probably, you know, after the crucifixion, he, he was alive again. He got a makeover inside that tomb somehow. <laughs> You know, he didn't have blood all over him and scratches and punctures. You know, he came out white, all cleaned up, cleaned up nice. <laughs> and uh, and he's going around, you know, and, and I think he was putting his hand in soapy water and blowing bubbles through his hand. Um, the miracles that he was We'll be rebroadcasting this on the Catholic Channel. <laughs> We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast after this. Man, Uncle oh, Jesus. Okay, so I I think I think you're not like, done with me, are you? What yes, if I want to stay? You can't go longer. Yeah, I don't know. Someone's telling me to rap. <laughs> I don't know why. I would gladly go longer. Let's, do you want to go longer, Frank? I would like to hear uh, Bill I, do a couple of more okay, voices. Okay, okay. Then we could always use this. And and if, okay. and if we only even get another 10 minutes, we could mix it in with another 10 minutes. Yeah. Now, now uh, you also did. I never one. get to talk to Gilbert. I never. I haven't, spoke, <laughs> I haven't talked to you in probably yours, 14 Bill. or 15 years. <laughs> I remember also, you did uh, a thing. It was right after, allegedly, according to the papers, uh, Don Knotts tried to kill himself. Oh <laughs> no! Did he really? <laughs> yes, and and they were reporting it. They read it on the Stern Show, and they called you as Don Knotts. They did. Yes. Oh my God! How come I don't remember that? I don't. I know what I would have said. No more Matlock means no more me. <laughs> but I don't know if I did that. I don't know if I did that. I just don't know. I w- I I never heard like when he was super old. I remember him on Matlock, and he was just he's an old chestnut. You know, you could always count on him for a laugh. But, man, Don, you know, some things are sacred with me, Gilbert, you know. Don't you know? I'll have you know. How about a little Jonathan Harris, Bill? You feeling a little Jonathan Harris? Smith, Smith, what happened to all the water? Someone had to take a dump in zero gravity here, didn't he? Didn't he? Oh, Mrs. Robinson, I was nearly bathing the boy. (laughs) No, he used to scream. Flatten them. Oh, my. And according to your Wikipedia page... Oh, wait, before we... Wait a minute, I have a Wikipedia page. Wait, you do. Before we we go on to that, uh, my connection with Jonathan Harris is there was a short-lived USA Network cartoon series 
wow. problem child. Oh yes. And and uh, and the father, you know, not not the, uh, you know, big big John, I guess they called him. And was and, this a cartoon, Gilbert? Yes. And, okay. And Jonathan Harris was that character. So I he used was to, doing cartoon voiceovers. Yes. And you did you meet him and work with him? I, I worked with him a handful of times. And I remember saying to him, like, because the Stern Show always right. wanted to have him on. I and, know. And he didn't want to do it. No, he told me, he said, Billy Boy. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I have everything to lose and nothing to gain. <laughs> and you know what? He was right. <laughs> I knew him before he passed. I had done a cartoon with him. And... You know something? He was a beautiful guy. He really was. I used to help him out to his car and say, Oh, Billy, please help me today. I can't get in my car. <laughs> and um, and I was so interested in anything he had to say. And, and uh, I said, Do you remember the Bill Dana show? Of course I remember. I played, what did he play? Mr. Phillips, the, uh, uh, what, pompous, imperious floor walker. And Bill Dana was a bellboy. This was like and early wasn't, 60s. Wasn't Don Adams? Don Adams. Hotel played Detective? House Detective Byron Gluck. Ah, yes. <laughs> he was a master of disguise. And, and Don, Don, I mean, Don Adams would be all dressed up in disguise, and he'd come up to Bill Dane, and he goes, you know, do you know who I am? And he goes, you don't know who you are? <laughs> <laughs> but I asked Jonathan, I said, Gary Crosby was on that show. Oh, Poor, dear, dear Gary. So much talent. He killed those boys, you know. <laughs> Talking about Bing. Because one time the house was burning down, and Bing sent Gary back into the house to get his pipe collection. Oh, my God. you got to read about this stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's true. I mean, he was, Bing was talented and everything. Everybody loved him, but he was a hollow man. He was an alcoholic, and he was carved out in the middle. There was nothing there. You know, you know, a story I heard was uh, one time someone was talking to Buddy Hackett yeah. at a party. As, and, as things like that used to happen yes, at one time. Yes, And they said to Buddy Hackett, they brought up the fact that uh, uh, Bing Crosby being a violent father. And he goes, mm. you, you know why Bing Crosby used to beat his kids? Because Bing Crosby couldn't get a hard on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that is so funny. You know, I was thinking it would be great nowadays. Everybody's a pundit. Everybody's got a show every hour where they speculate on crap, and I'd love to hear the Buddy Hackett report. <laughs> you just heard it, buddy. What? Oh, oh that and, was it. And my all-time favorite death scene. Oh yeah, we always talk was about this. In Bud and Lou, <laughs> right. where uh, Artie Johnson, as as their longtime agent, he shows up at the hospital after Buddy Hackett had uh, had another f- bad heart attack, and he's in the hospital bed weak, and he snuck he sneaks in with a strawberry malted. And and Buddy Hackett takes a sip of it. Buddy Hackett, as Lou Costello, takes a sip, and he goes, "You know, I think 
I had a lot of strawberry malties in my day, oh. but this one's the best. And he oh. falls over there. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you remember that bill with Harvey Corman as Bud Abbott? Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, I also know that there was an Abbott and Costello cartoon. Oh, sure. Yes, oh, yes. And and I uh, guess there was a guy named Stu Irwin who could impersonate uh, Lou Costello. Right. And, uh, and Bud Abbott played himself. I mean, oh, it was yes. the last attempt to try to make a nickel or two. Oh, and then one God. time, he goes in the National Enquirer when it was purely black and white, and it was a real tabloid. They show a picture of him all gnarled up in a wheelchair looking at the camera with, like, his face looked like a post-human face with these little human eyes peeking out from behind it, and uh, and they said, you know, if you ca he said if you cared anything about us or our movies, please send me a dollar. Yes, I remember that. Pray, pray to God that that just never happens. To I us. know, I know. It's like if you liked Stimpy, or if you liked him to hear him say, "Oh, joy." You know, send me a buck. Let's hope it doesn't come no, to that. Send book. me a Bitcoin. <laughs> I want a Bitcoin. And do you remember in the Bud and Lou movie, it's like, you know, both were talented, Buddy Hackett and Harvey Corman, but it looked like neither one of them had ever heard an Abbott and Costello routine. <laughs> it did seem like that. Yeah. It did seem like that. I mean... You know, to me, they were really important. The stuff you used to just take off, you, you would, like, jump in an outfit of Lou Costello and just zip it up and fly away with with his uh, nuances and everything and they <laughs> meeting Dracula because they really had a movie like that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so you're saying... You're saying uh, the Frankenstein monster can... <laughs> That was so beautiful. Oh. You, you say the candle moved. <laughs> what, what I remember... Get it when, right. Get it right. When he's doing that description, <laughs> and he's describing how Frankenstein's racing out of the crate, and Dracula's coming out of the coffin, and he's, like, and he's moving around. He's miming with his hands all up in the air, and like... <laughs> you know, like mimicking Frankenstein's moves and Dracula's. And yeah. Abbott, just out of nowhere, and you know it's like an ad lib, he goes, okay, okay, put your hands down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man, you know what? That sounds like te the way Teddy Healy used to treat the Stooges. He was not with it. He would just, like, they'd be in the middle of something, and some one of them said something was funny, and he goes, and and Healy used to just like it was a huge speed bump. He'd go, "Oh, you think that's funny, huh? Oh, you think it's funny? You think this is funny, Mabel? You know?" And it's like, "Oh, shut up." Yeah, Ted Healy was horrible, but he's he was remembered horrible. as a great comedian. I don't know. I I don't know. I always thought he was like one joke away from Palookaville, especially with no Stooges, you know. I but swear. Isn't it that, like, when the Stooges became the Stooges by themselves, that Mo was basically the uh, Ed he uh, the Ted Healy? Yes, he assumed that. But but he <laughs> he was so good at it, you know. He used to take the punches and the slaps from Ted Healy, 
And uh, the other two were tired of being hit. Oh, yeah, because they said Ted Healy never pulled his punches. Never. He would just whack them where they got dizzy. Yeah, and Curly would say, come on, man, what are you trying to do? And um, and Teddy Healy said, you want them, you want them to hear it in the back row, don't you? Oh, jeez. Yeah, Teddy Healy, <laughs> sadomasochist. And then what, what was the horror movie he was in? Was that Mad Love with Peter oh, Laurie? Oh, Peter Laurie? Yeah, where he plays a uh, crazy, you know, comedy relief, wisecracking reporter. He might have been. It would have been perfect though, because that's all he was suited for. And and he's he's awful in it. Is Mad Love yeah, of course he was always anemic, no matter what. Oh he yes, did. yes, with the with these Mad Peter Laurie right, comes in surgeon. with like uh, a a head like a neck brace because yeah. yep. it's supposed to be yeah. he was died in the guillotine. Carl Freund who directed the Mummy. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh my God! And and he's wearing these metal hands because his hands oh, have been right. chopped off. He thinks he murdered his father. <laughs> he thinks he murdered his father. <laughs> you know what made no sense with Mad no Love? sense is that. Do you think anybody's still listening to this? <laughs> I ran out of questions. It's 20 two guys ago, on the Bill. phone, you know, and one guy's in Denver. Whoopie do. <laughs> They're Dennis, talking about stuff that, you know, we, we like both of them, but it was, you know, we, we couldn't understand it. <laughs> We're talking about stuff that if Mo Howard was still alive, he wouldn't know what the hell. Yeah, I know. You know, you know Stan Freeberg? Oh, yeah. Sure. I asked him one time, he did a run and stuff. Another and hip I, name. I love his radio <laughs> the show. The references keep coming. <laughs> I love the radio show when he had Dodge Butler and June Foray and all that. And uh, he did parodies of songs like a week after they came out, like Heartbreak Hotel. He had a parody. But I met him one time on Ren and Stimpy, and I said, how did you do all that stuff that you did? You know, and I named off a bunch of things. And he goes, well, you know more about me than I do, which is basically true at that point. <laughs> You know, you're boring a guy with stuff he did. It's just he didn't remember it. And how did Peter Laurie find his way into Red and Stimpy, Billy? Speaking of Peter Laurie. Oh, uh, well, because the original, uh, the original mashup was he was uh, he had sort of a Peter Laurie accent to make you think he was like Slavic or something, mm. and then he had a South of the Border accent, you know, chiming in and out. Uh, because he was a chihuahua. He was an asthma hound chihuahua to mm-hmm. be fight. <laughs> and, uh, and then um, his lines came from, like, Kirk Douglas and uh, Burl Ives. Wow. You know, we, we'd do stuff like, uh, you know... Uh, actually, I didn't do it for the season, but I remember hearing what they wanted me to do. He wanted me to do it, and we went to Nickelodeon, and I did a tape of both of them, and I sold the show. But he decided he was going to do rent. I didn't give a fat frog's ass who did what. I was so lucky to have a job. I get immigrant mentality. You know, my uncles are up in heaven. Like, you know, they're looking down. And they go, you had a chance to work for 18 hours a day. And you didn't do it. You I, grow up. Oh, my God. I still, I have the same thought that goes immigrant through my Immigrant mentality. Head. Yes. Yes. I know. I know you do. Yeah, because I, sometimes I'll find myself like, 
bitching about something, like some club I have to do or some voiceover, and oh, I'll yeah. go, oh, God, I have to work for a whole hour. Oh. <laughs> and then I can just imagine what my, my mother and father telling them I'm making this amount of money, but I have to work a full hour. And oh I'm thinking, God. what the hell would they be staring at me, the look on their face? Oh, my God, yeah. No, I mean, I used to I used to feel like, you know, they were always there somehow because they were Irish guys. And, um, Who you know hated what they used the to do? Juice. They used to drink. They would never give up. <laughs> they would never Don't give up that. the ghost. And they would get drunk at the local bar, and then they'd go to work and sleep in the doorway so that they could wake up there and be able to go to work. <laughs> rather than miss it. Come on, you stiffs. You want to go to work? Get up. Get up. Get up. Get up, you bums. Come on. Get up. 23 skidoo. I, I still have an immigrant mentality. I always think that when I'm at a gig, and if I don't do the right witty little genderless, cloying, annoying voice, that I'll go home and my house will be gone. Absolutely. You know, people don't understand that, but we're not too far removed from that. It, it's like, um, I remember one time after an, an episode I did of Hollywood Squares, and it was running kind of slow that day because the camera lights, whatever, it was screwed up. Yeah, and always I, a wig. Yeah, and, and I, I had a headache, and I was annoyed that it went so slow. And they had a driver who would drive me back to the hotel, and I was in a bad mood, and he says, So, how did your day go, sir? And I was about to say, oh, you know, like start bitching about it. And then all of a sudden a voice popped into my head and said, okay, look, you you showed up in the daytime, had breakfast, did three jokes, broke for lunch, did another three jokes, and are being chauffeur-driven back to the hotel. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, honestly, God, yeah. You know, I mean... Do you know? Um, do you know some of the voice guys? I mean, they all know of you. Um, Tom Kenny used to be a stand-up comedian. Oh yeah, he did SpongeBob. That guy has so much gratitude, and we sit down and we talk about it. How damn lucky are we to have wound up to do this? I mean, you know, an actor. Yeah, you take your chances. Um, you know, ninety-five percent. A business of ninety-five percent unemployment. Your job is looking for work. Oh yeah. And it's like, I, I thank God because there is opportunities. You know, that's all we do is make show business. I just tell kids, get into show business. Whatever it takes, get in. Because that's all we make. That's our factory. <laughs> Everything else is gone. And uh, they can learn animation on computers. And there's always a room for, you know, room for somebody. And I was talking to Frank because both of us were saying how, you know, uh, like at any given time, you could, like, at the next minute, you'll be working like crazy now, and the next minute, you go, the phone stops ringing, and yeah, you're yeah. totally forgotten about it. Let's say you're afraid to turn down work. <laughs> oh, yes. I always, yeah. I, I don't have a sense of entitlement, and I've always felt that way. You know, it's like I never took it for granted. Honest to God, I never did. I didn't have a sense of entitlement. And, you know, and I just also, was like one of these kids. It's like, I just want to bring something to the industry when I decided that I wanted to do it, but I never was convinced you could make a lot of money or be famous, nothing like that. Well, I always think, like, when I was a kid and my parents 
knew I was interested in like comedy and show business, what they must have thought. Like, like that would be like saying, oh, I'm going to be a really rich, successful sword swallower or something. <laughs> the post office is hiring Gilbert. <laughs> you want to know something? What? I, you, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, my <laughs> my mother. I had the same parents. I think I had the same parents. <laughs> yes, we had. I don't remember you around, but I think I had the same parents. My mother had me go and take a a test for the post office. Wow. Which I failed. The civil service. Oh my god. Yes, the civil, civil service. service. Yeah. I failed it. Oh my god. They, they've got they've got serial killers in the post office, and I failed. That's how, that's how stupid I am. Oh, my God. <laughs> Didn't you know better that someday you could start a stamp business that had on each stamp yeah. one of the guys that went nuts? Yeah, you know, go, the commemorative version. Going on stage and talking about Ted Bessel was, yes. was, your, was your deliverance. Was your way And, out. and, and, oh, Donald. Now, I, I want to find out. I'm in the right place. That's why I don't want to leave. I, I don't want to face anybody after this. I know. <laughs> now, I'm in the I right wanna, place. I'm really, I never met her. But I have a feeling that, and I never met her, never heard anything about her. Mm-hmm. But I have a feeling Marlo Thomas is the worst human being on the planet. Oh, well. I I break out laughing, but I don't. I know so little about Marlo yes. Thomas. Yeah, I don't know. I so know more about her dad. Like, like I think Phil. Oh well, <laughs> is there mm. anything? Is there anything about our dad we can say on the air? We don't have enough time. <laughs> um, yeah, he needed a prescription coffee table <laughs> when he got older. That's all I can say. Come on, please. This and, is supposed to be a fun show here. It's a family show. And I should preface, I know nothing about Marlo Thomas, so I don't. You were trying I to never, shock me, huh? You no, were trying to be no, a shock jock. Was, You're outrageous, I Gilbert. Was never, I never heard anything bad about... Maybe it's always because she was trying to be so nice all the time on TV. And Yo, like, I know so it's little, me, like Kathy Lee. Yes, yes. So you, those people That's you kind of suspect too happy. are killers. <laughs> well, it's it's overcompensating for something. Let's put it that way. Yes, Kathy yes. Lee constantly being happy and then breaking down crying. That's called manic depression. <laughs> and, and everybody loves that. That's what gets ratings. We reward the mentally ill. Well, that's show business. Bro. Well, oh, that's it is show see, business. Everybody's see, mentally ill. There's something <clears throat> that one of the things that attracted me about show business. Yes. Was that aside that an idiot like me could make a living? <laughs> is that in real life, outside of show business, like if you work in a grocery store and you don't, you're bad at tying your shoes or uh, adding up your taxes, you're an idiot. That's right. But I if was. Johnny Depp doesn't know how to tie his shoelaces. I don't either. Yeah, he's a brilliant artist. <laughs> I know. He's but... so eccentric. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he likes that eccentric... Uh... You know, why go to France and hide all that 
wonderful eccentricity. You know, when you can parade it around out here. <laughs> you know, you're hiding. We want to see this this behavior. We must. Now, I remember uh, getting back to the Stooges again. See, now I, like I grew up in Brooklyn. Yep. And so on the East Coast, we had Officer Joe Bolton. Joe Bolton. Oh, yes. Sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Officer Joe. We had Major Mud. <laughs> In Boston, Major Mud. And don't forget Captain Jack McCarthy. Oh yes, he used they to were show all the, the same Popeye. kind of guy. Popeye, yeah. And and he used to end each show with, uh, "Well, time and tide wait for no man." <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, officer. <laughs> Do you ever hear the empty can rattles the loudest? <laughs> no, I haven't heard that one. Haven't killed. Haven't killed. <laughs> <laughs> now, was there ever now? Also, in the afternoon, sometimes I'd walk home from school for lunch. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, I, I used to go home. They gave you a yes. lunch break back yes. then. Yes, mm-hmm. and and I would go home, and like I would always, I'd like the cartoons more. Yep. Like I like they used to have the Dick Tracy cartoons. Oh, oh but looking back. Oh, they were horrible. Jiu-Jitsu. And, and you, do you remember who did the voice of Dick Tracy? I don't remember. Everett Sloan. Oh, wow. oh it was Everett Sloan? Because if you listen That's right. To I it. saw his name on the credits. That's if, right. I just never knew what he did because I only knew him from Citizen Kane, you know. Oh, Charlie Kane was a weird guy. <laughs> Mr. Kane. I'm chairman of the board. I have nothing but time. Oh, man. <laughs> I did not know Everett Sloan was the voice of Dick Tracy. Oh, and, and, no. then, and then at at the end of Lady from Shanghai, he's the one walking around with a limp and a gun in the House of Mirrors, and he goes to Rita Hayworth, Are you pointing that gun at me, lover? Good, because I'm pointing this gun at you. <laughs> and, but, yeah, go okay, ahead. Go ahead. No, in no, in, you... in um in uh, when he's Dick Tracy, <laughs> when he's Dick Tracy, if yes. you listen, you know you could hear it now. You know, it's like, okay, Captain, I'll be on it right away. Well, he was playing sinister characters, even like on Johnny Quest. Oh yes, yes. Yeah, he he was he didn't seem very formidable. In the old days, like when he was in Citizen Kane, he just seemed like a kind of a happy-go-lucky, happy-to-do-my-job kind of guy. And then he got became more and more sinister doing the yeah, cartoon he stuff. he was like, I, yeah, in Citizen Kane, he was Bernstein. That's right, yeah, the accountant or something. And, and I, yes. And what I else think, would he be? And, and I think Orson Welles says at one point something like, oh, uh, Mr. Bernstein's uh, apt to visit the... Uh, the uh, nursery every now and again. It, you know oh. something? Citizen Kane was one of those movies that it's a great film and also fun. Most great oh, films yeah. aren't fun. No. But they you didn't get it at the time. Seal. What? You can't say that about the no, Seven Seal. No, not fun at all. No. It's, it's a homework assignment. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, those Tracy episodes, weren't they, weren't they pulled... Finally, because of the the racism. Oh, they had because they had they had uh, right. Go go Gomez. Go go Gomez. Yes, yes. And there was an Irish. And it was cop. Paul Freese. What's that? 
It was Paul Fries did the Paul voices Fries. for those guys. Oh, wow. There was an Irish cop named Hippo Yeah, Calorie. he was Steel Apples. What was his name? Hippo Calorie. Oh. Now, now I think Paul Fries, a friend of mine said he was also very big in, like, he did some famous science fiction. He did a lot okay. of the trailers. Oh, yeah. He did a lot of them. He went, you know, the, the what was it, the hideous sun demon or oh something? Oh, my God, yes. And monster on campus, you know, <laughs> by day, a professor <laughs> at night. You know, he would just say, like, you know, um, a regular Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And I could see him riding home in his limousine that day, heading across the sign that says Beverly Hills, and he goes, Jekyll? <laughs> ah, screw it. Jekyll. He didn't care. He now, was a crime did, freak, Gilbert. He was? He was a crime freak. He used to loan his big, giant, white uh, Rolls Royce to the cops so they could hold more prisoners. Wow. He used to tag along with them. Oh. Imagine? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now I, I want to get back to one other thing. Yes, please. Before. <laughs> <laughs> the show it must no longer wait. More Three Stooges must and, no longer and, wait. And I, and I, I, of course, have to apologize because everyone who's listening now go, oh, wait a minute. They were talking about Dwight Fry, and then they changed. <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. We're talking about Howard Johnson's in Times Square. <laughs> yes, they were talking about Jack Pierce's later years, and then they, all of a sudden they switched. Um, they in with. Tell me some more about Noah Beery. Uh, no, not Noah Beery. <laughs> oh my God. Noah Blank. Noah Blank. No Blank? Noah Blank. No Blank. No, that's his son, Mel Blank's yeah. son. Oh, what, nice what do you guy. know about him? What? What do you know about his son? Cause I, I, I do know that his son lived out in the Palisades. That's where he grew up, you know, when um, Mel was residing. They lived in Playa del Rey and then they moved to the Palisades. And Mel had a terrible accident on Sunset Boulevard because yes, there's a curve died. there that'll throw you into the campus at UCLA. But but anyway, <clears throat> the son, he just, you know, came onto his own. He ran blank communications for a while. And then, then he, uh, you know, he was just kind of taking it easy. I don't think he ever wanted that mantle of oh, doing his oh, dad's work. We talked it. about that. Yeah. So, so he became a helicopter pilot. And... Uh, I guess one time he had like he had uh, Kirk Douglas, who was the neighbor up there for years. Wow. Mel knew Kirk, and then uh, Jack Benny had Kirk on because he probably lived out there. But but Kirk Douglas, you know what happened is the, the helicopter seized in midair and and just kind of went flying downward, and for some reason everybody lived. You know. But but no Noel Blank basically was happy. Yeah, he was, and you know where he lives, I guess? Bear Lake. Don't yeah, we'll, ask. We'll I don't have, know. I've we'll been have there tonight. Noel Blank on the show. Who, what? You'd like to have him? Yeah. Well, because you know what it is? He's a real gentleman, and he has nothing but respect for the old days. And He has a lot of stories, though, and I have heard him being interviewed by a Bear Lake station <laughs> <laughs> when I was up there. And I think, and I think that 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 station at that hour is getting like you know a hundred times the listeners that I'm the getting volume, yeah. on this. Show. 
Because the guy who the guy who plows your walk is on the air. We, I think <laughs> I've lost whatever listeners were here in the beginning. Like oh, oh my god! <laughs> I'm just loving this, you know. But I have to take a leak so bad I'm ready to hide it in the rug. I'm ready to hide it in the oh rug and then pour Perrier over it. <laughs> that might be that might be the wrap for this show. That I'd like to go longer, but Billy West has to take a leak. Yes, that's about that's about it, you know. I mean, maybe maybe all three of us, me, me you, and Frank, can all see outdo each other with how long we could go without peeing in our pants. <laughs> it's dangerously oh, close man. to the telephone. <laughs> It's crazy. So, it's like so, an ass meeting here. So, okay. You're not allowed to take a pee. <laughs> Those cult meetings. Oh, that's funny. So, Years ago. I'm, I'm Gilbert Gottfried. Uh, I'm you. Are you sure about that? No. I, <laughs> the, name, the name is obscure enough <laughs> that it just fits in with all the others. I'm Gilbert Gottfried. I'm... And and my co-host has been Frank Santo Padre. That's right. And in the future, and in the future, people in outer space are going to hear this transmission, (laughs) and they're going to learn to speak English from Frank Santo Padre. Ironic. We learned your English from Frank Santo Padre. (laughs) How can you speak our language? We learned from Gilbert Gottfried. Now do it as Paul Freeze. Oh, God, I don't know what to say. People of the planet Earth. <laughs> this, okay. is, this has been fun, so, Bill. Th- I'm supposed to wrap up the show. What are you supposed to do? You're not <laughs> supposed to do anything. Up. You don't have any protocol. I Admit would... it. <laughs> Admit it. <laughs> so I'm being told to wrap up this show. Okay, I get it. I don't it. want I to get wrap it. it up. For real this time. I, I don't want to wrap it up. Where are you? What, what are you, in New Jersey or New York? <laughs> We're at Gilbert's kitchen table. Yeah, which I happen to know used to be down the Lower East Side or something. Lower West Side? No, no. Help I'm... me out, will you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying out here. It's cold out here alone, Gilbert. You ought to know that. Freezing. <laughs> so... <laughs> Oh, I'm I can't, I'm giddy. I'm totally giddy. I'm gonna did, laugh. Did I mention I'm Gilbert Gottfried? I think you got that yeah. Yes. And this has been. And thank the, heaven. The amazing colossal podcast. <laughs>